Well, today is a very special day, even beyond the child dedications, because I have the privilege of introducing to you today Pastor Johnny Pereira of Salem Chapel in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Pastor Johnny has been my coach that I was assigned when I went through the whole training program to come here to Spartanburg. So I've known Johnny for a little over a year now, and he really truly is some of the wisdom behind uh, all that you see and you experience when you come here to worship God on Sundays. And um, I really am grateful. Uh, Johnny has a couple of his elders here today. Randall and Ray are also here. They're going to be doing some training with our own elder candidates that we have. So there's, they're still pouring into us, and they've done so much for us. The support that they give our church has been a huge blessing. And uh, would you just give Johnny a hand right here as he comes up? Thank you, brother. So, so you, you know, you say different things, different ways, and uh, when you said... I'm the wisdom behind everything that's done here. What that means, if something bad happens, it's my fault, right? Um, but, uh, man, I can't tell you what a privilege it is uh, to be here. Last time I was in Spartanburg, South Carolina, I was in an apartment complex. Some of you were there, right? How many of you were with this church from the beginning, very beginning? Raise your hand. All right, there's some of you, and... Uh, Man, I remember being there in that, uh, man, I don't know what that was, David. It was like a, a, just a big room and a really cool like apartment complex and uh, seeing about 50 people there hearing for the first time what God wanted to do in Spartanburg, South Carolina uh, for the glory of God. And uh, what an amazing privilege we have had as a church to be a small part of that. And it's been a blessing. Uh, David and I talk at least a couple times a month, and it has been a privilege for me just to uh, encourage him and uh, just help him through different things that the Lord has taught uh, me and is teaching me. And uh, it's so great to have uh, Ray Hand and Randall Baker. They're two of our elders, and uh, so, so thankful that we've been able to really serve as this church's elders until you're about to install your own, and what an awesome an amazing time that that is. Let me also tell you that what you are doing is one of the hardest things you can possibly do. Can I just encourage you with that? Um, and you're doing it. Um, I have been a part of planting two churches, and uh, that is no small task for you to feel like the Lord is stirring in you to go to a place many times that you've never been or you've been before and to start something from nothing. And so let me just encourage you to keep the Rudys in your prayers and David and Julie, the sacrifices that they've made to leave. They could have done a lot of other things, but being obedient to what the Lord has called them to do to start another gospel-centered church in Spartanburg, South Carolina is no small task. And I want you to encourage you to continue to pray for them, to continue to encourage them. I'm not saying that because something bad's about to happen. I'm telling you that so that something bad doesn't happen. Uh, and so, just want to encourage you with that. We need, as pastors, to have the people that we are called to lead to be praying for us. And so, I don't say that because Dave was like, hey man, can you put in a good word for me when you get up? I say that because I live it every day. And uh, I'm so very thankful to be here. You know, October is Pastor Appreciation Month, so... Uh, 
Make sure you do that well for the Rudys. And so thankful for this, for this band that has the opportunity in leading us in worship. Can we just praise the Lord because of what God is doing through them? Um, man, when you do this, and uh, I've done this, as I said, a couple of times by God's grace and been a part of helping coach others, and you all are blessed to have the team that you have. You're blessed to be meeting in this space. I would have killed to have someone come and set up chairs for me and a stage for me and pipe and drape for me when I was doing this. And so, man, it's just, it's just a privilege to be here. And so I have already been blessed. I know uh, Ray and Randall have already been blessed. And so it's just great to be with you all. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 46. I was praying about what the Lord would have us look at today on this Labor Day weekend, and this is always a time where people are traveling in and out, and you may be here visiting family, or, or, or people that have been here are visiting family, and it's always a transitional Sunday, but as I was praying, I was really saying, Lord, what would you have me share with this church that is dear to us to encourage them as they continue to pursue the Lord and continue to see people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and continue lifting high the name of Jesus and walking with him as you gather together. And the Lord kept me go, kept bringing me back to this psalm in Psalm 46. And we're going to be in that in just a moment. But I want you to, how many of you are history buffs? Raise your hand. You, you like history. And so you probably already, already may be aware of this name, but you're probably aware, with, uh, aware of the name Martin Luther. Uh, Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation, many of us know him for nailing the 95 Thesis on All Saints Church in Wittenberg on October 31st, 1517. So if you grew up in the background that I grew up, that's what we celebrated, not Halloween, but what Martin Luther did. And uh, so that always makes me think of that when I think of what Martin Luther did on October 31st. The only people that laughed are the people that know what I'm talking about. But he did this in protest to the legitimacy of indulgences. And so what was going on is that they would, that the Catholic Church would sell these indulgences, and if I bought these indulgences, that hopefully I would get people out of purgatory and get them sooner into heaven. And so Martin Luther saw the, the uh, false, false idea in this type of teaching, and so he nails these 95 theses against that. But I say that because... Probably the favorite passage of scripture for Martin Luther was Romans 1.17. It says this, the just shall live by faith. And so most people know that who are familiar with history and how that was really the crux at, at his conversion and helping him to realize that we are justified by faith, not by works. But not as many people understand that what was also key to his conversion was his study in the Psalms. And in fact, as he was being, going through establishing this reformation and this new way of thinking, many people also may be aware that he struggled with depression and he struggled with being discouraged. And it's said that his favorite psalm was Psalm 46, what we're going to look at this morning. And it's said of Luther that there were times during these dark and dangerous periods of the reformation when he was terribly discouraged and terribly depressed that he would turn to his friend and co-worker, Philip Melanchthon. And this is what he would say to his good friend. He would say, come, Philip, let us study the 46th Psalm. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Just to give you some familiarity to the Psalm that we're about to read, Psalm 46 is divided into three stanzas. 
in each ending of this stanza, there's this word called selah, which literally means to stop, to contemplate, to think about what one just read or what one just sang. After all, the Psalms are are the things that the Israelites would sing to music. And verses 1 through 3 is a general statement. We're going to look at this, that God alone is our refuge. And then you look at verses 4 through 6, and it's talking about the emphasizing that God is the protector of his city. And then you go to the last stanza where the psalmist looks to the future reign where God will right all wrongs. And the title of this message this morning, if you're taking notes, is this. Running from God or to God? Because each one of us in this room are doing one of those two things. We are running to God if we're in a time of crisis or if we're in a time of blessing. Or we are running from God. There's really no one that's in the middle. We're either running from or we're running to the Lord. And oftentimes the decision, or really not oftentimes, but all the time, the decision on that question right there impacts so much of what we experience, specifically in times of difficulty, which is what Psalm 46 is talking about. And I wonder, what do you do when you're afraid? Like, just think of anything in your mind. When you're, in a, when you're afraid, when you're scared, what do you do? And what I've found is there's really three types of categories on what you do when you're afraid. Like, they're the people, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I don't want you to admit something that you may not want to admit. But there's three types of people. There's one type of people that when you're afraid, you're the type of, the type of people that just freeze, right? Like, like you're just like, you don't know, you're like so scared you don't know what to do and you're, you're that type of people. My, my wife who's not with me and she's back in, in our church uh, in Winston-Salem this morning because she's got to fill in some gaps that we have because of Labor Day weekend. But if she was here, I would say this with her here, she's the type of person that freezes. Like our kids are 15 and 12, but I remember when Lucas was three months old, that's our younger child, our younger son, and he was running, he was about the age of uh, Ben, your child, that was up here, and I remember he was running, you know when kids are, are smaller, how they run, they run like, like this, right? Like they don't run straight, they run like they're about to fall, and I remember he was running, and in our living room, we had this coffee table, and he was running, and he hit his head on that coffee table, and right on his forehead. And in a matter of seconds, he became a unicorn. You know what I'm talking about, if that's happened? Like, literally, it literally was like the cartoon. It went straight out. And my wife was like, she went into freeze mode. I can't look at it. I can't. Like, Johnny, you do it. So I picked him up, and I'm, I'm like thinking to myself, we were planting a church at this point. I'm thinking, man, we really can't afford to go to the emergency room. Is he going to be okay? Like, like it, I mean, you're battling that if you've been there. And then we went to the emergency room, and, and the doctor, you know, you're getting the, the plan, you know, the, the, uh, the group C. Like, they're not the A team, the B team. They're the C team on a Sunday afternoon. And, and so we saw those in, individuals, and he's like, yeah, he seems to be fine. I mean, by that time, Lucas is laughing and everything. He's still got this knot sticking out this far out of his head, but he's laughing and everything. And, and he's like, well, maybe, maybe we get him, maybe, we, maybe he should get a scan. And I remember saying, Doc, is that really necessary? Because in my mind, I'm totaling up. And he's like, no, you can take him home. My point in that is my wife was one of those that freezes. Maybe that's you. Or maybe there's another type of people that when you're afraid that are in this room, and instead of freezing, you panic. Like, you just go crazy. 
Or maybe there's a third group of you, and you actually take pride in this. You're like the people that go into action, like you go into robot mode, like, like you just go to what needs to be done. Here's my point in all that. Whether you're someone who freezes, whether you're someone who panics, or whether you're someone that literally goes and is called into action when, when you are faced with something that is fearful or scary, any one of those three can lead to not the best decision-making. And I wonder this morning, how are you reacting in a time of crisis? How are you reacting? Because Psalm 46 is going to give us the answer. Here's, here's really what I want you to walk away with this morning. If you can walk away with this one idea that we're going to see through Psalm 46, then I believe that you will be headed in the right direction. It's this, where you run for help. Where you run for help will determine if you experience fear or courage in times of trouble. Where you run for help. The decision that you make, am I going to run to God or am I going to run away from God, will determine whether or not you are being ruled by fear or whether you are experiencing courage in times of trouble. And what I love about this psalm, I promise we're going to read it here in a second. What I love about this psalm is the emphasis is on God himself. It's not on you. It's not on me. It's on God himself. That God alone is our refuge. That no one, no one, no one else, nothing in the universe can be a comparable refuge to him. So I want to give you three things that God provides so that we can experience courage in times of trouble in this psalm. So would you look at verses one through three? What the psalmist says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth give way, though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at his swelling. And there's that word, Selah. Like, like just sit on that. Just dwell on that. Like Psalm 46 is an amazing psalm that you need to carry with you at all times. All times. You know something that we carry with us all times, right? This. Like 15 years ago, I didn't even, like when I left home, I didn't think I needed to have this. Now if I leave this at home, I turn around, right? Psalm 46 is one of those psalms that you always want to have with you. And verses 1 through 3 gives us the first thing that God provides so that we can experience courage in times of trouble. Number one, it emphasizes his protection. God's protection, and specifically his protection is said in this passage of scripture to provide me with two types of help in times of trouble. You see that in verse one. That word trouble is an interesting word. It's a significant word. It literally means whatever boxes me in and gives me anxiety. So if you're claustrophobic this morning, you can identify with that. Like when you're in a tight, enclosed places, place, one of the things that freaks you out is, is you can't move. You feel boxed in. That's the exact word meaning for that word trouble. It's whatever boxes you in. What's boxing you in this morning? What's causing you anxiety? What's making you feel like you don't have an escape? 
because the Lord's protection provides me with two types of help. Here's the first type of help it provides me with. Look at what it says. God is our refuge. In other words, he is the person that I can run to. That's the help that he provides me. His protection provides me with a place that I can run to. So often when we're in times of trouble, we are looking for an escape, are we not? Whatever that may be. That may be pursuing a certain sin. That may be us going and doing something else. That might be us keeping ourselves busy. That might be any numerous things that we look for as an escape to the thing that we are experiencing. And what I love is the psalmist says, listen, you and I run to so many different things that we look to to bring ourselves so that we can forget about what we're going through. But in reality, the thing that we need to be running to is the Lord. He is the person that I can run to. That word refuge is an interesting word. It denotes this idea, the only one I rely on. The only one. The one who I take refuge in. The one who I run to. And we all this morning have someone or something that we run to. Every one of us not a person exempt from that statement. And where you run will determine what you are experiencing, fear or courage. And some of us in this room, we're not experiencing courage. You know why? Because for some of us in this room, these verses are still theoretical for us. We've never actually allowed ourselves to come to the place where, you know what, I'm going to run to the Lord rather than to this person, rather than to this thing, rather than to this escape. No, no, no. I'm going to run to the Lord. We're going to talk about what that means. The psalmist is going to explain to us what that means. But for some of us, it's theoretical. Some of us are in this room, and man, we just become a believer maybe just a couple weeks ago, and it's theoretical to you because you've not been a believer very long, and that's awesome. But for some of us in this room, we've been followers of Jesus Christ for quite a while, and unfortunately, if we were honest with ourselves, this psalm, we would say, you know what, I've never experienced that. Why? Because you've never made the choice that I'm going to run to the Lord to experience courage rather than to something else. See, there's a key word in verse 1 that we might miss. Look at it again. It's this little word, but it's a significant word, and it's the word is. Because that word is means that the psalmist is saying, this is my practice. God is my refuge. It doesn't say God was my refuge at one time. It's not God, I hope you will be my refuge. But literally the psalmist is saying is I am experiencing this because it is a common practice in my life that God is my refuge. He is the one that I run to. He is my escape. But what else does it say? It not only says God is our refuge, but it also says he is our strength. See, he's saying that the Lord's my protection because he's the source of my strength. See, whenever I encounter times of trouble, I'm always praying, Lord, would you remove this from me? Or could I escape from this? And I don't think that's necessarily a bad prayer. But it becomes a bad prayer when my prayer stops at that point. 
See, what I love in this verse is it gives two types of perspective that are essential for us to experience God's protection. That yes, I need to pray, Lord, would you remove this experience from me? But I also need to pray, Lord, would you give me the strength to go through it? See, that's what the psalmist is saying. God is not only our refuge, the one that we can run to for escape, but he's also our strength to give us the ability to go through the trouble. You know what I've found in my life? That the strongest people, the people that I've looked up to, the people that have encouraged me, the people that are living this, what I've found is the strongest people in their walk with the Lord are the most self-aware people. Ever meet someone who's not self-aware? Like everybody else knows what their strengths and weaknesses are, but they don't? You ever meet one of those people? It's a frustrating experience, is it not? Some of you are shaking your head, and you might be one of those people. I don't know. But oftentimes, we as followers of Jesus Christ, we can be so self-aware in everything else, but understanding that what you and I need is God's protection. That I'm not strong enough in myself to go through this life on my own. What does it say? He is a very present help in time of trouble. Literally, that means he is very accessible. He's one that's easy to be found. So if you're not experiencing this in your life, it's not because God has somehow wandered away from you. It's because you're not living into this. He's a very present help in trouble. James says, draw near to God, and what will happen? He will draw near to you. And look at the result that happens when I am living in the reality that, God, you are my refuge. You are my strength. You provide me with protection. What's the result? Look at what it says in verse 2. Therefore, we will not, be, we will not fear. I'm not going to be crippled by fear. Fear is not going to keep me from pursuing the things that God has laid in front of me. You know what I've found in my life? That wherever the God is leading me and directing me and wanting me to pursue, there is always going to be opposition that comes. Always. It's one of the signs that you're doing what God wants you to do. And it doesn't necessarily mean that I won't struggle with fear, but what it means is I'm not going to allow fear to cause me to not pursue where the Lord wants me to go. Therefore, I will not fear. I will not be crippled by fear. And notice the scenarios that are given. Look at what it says in verse 2. I will not fear, but in, in what cases? Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, Though its waters roar and foam, though mountains tremble at its swelling. So in other words, when mountains around me, mountains are always pictured in the Bible to be things that have lasted longer than you. Like they're strong things. They're things that you never think would crumble, whatever that may be. When mountains are falling, when the earth is reeling, and it's important, it's a profound comfort to know. Though circumstantially, it looks like everything is falling around me. The one thing that doesn't change is that God is my refuge and strength. He is not shaken. He's my protection. Now, these guys know me very well. These two guys in the front, two of my elders. 
And so I'm thinking about times in my life, and the, realize why, or the reason why Psalm 46 is such an Im- impactful psalm to me is because, you know, as you go through life longer and longer, you think you understand passages of Scripture and you experience passages of Scripture, but the longer you go, the Lord in his grace, because this is how we grow, James 1, is sometimes the Lord just allows to turn the knob up, so I'm going to grow you in this grape. I'm a pretty self-sufficient person by nature. It's a battle for me. It's probably the same for many of you. And I remember literally like having many times where people have come into my office and they've sat down and they're like, man, I just struggle with anxiety and I struggle with this and and I've had panic attacks and all these different types of things and, and I'll try to be sympathetic and empathetic with them. But in my mind, I'm literally, I was literally saying, I, I can't identify with that. And then God took our church and me through a season and all of a sudden I began to understand much better what people were saying. See, there was a time in February I was getting up literally having panic attacks. I did not know what they were because I never experienced them. And in some ways, I was even shameful in admitting that I was struggling with those things. And I remember over and over again, between the hours of 2 and 4 a.m. for a two-week time period, getting up and barely being able to breathe. You know what was interesting? In those times, you know what God brought to my mind? is passages like Psalm 46. Passages like Psalm 23. Passages like Psalm 27 and literally saying those out loud. And you know what I learned in that time? That God's my protection. He's a refuge. He's my strength. And in that situation and in situations I know I'll face in the future, and there's been many times where I've said, no, I'm not running to God in this. I'm going to run from God in this. I have this that I've been able to experience, man, when you make that choice and saying, God, right now in this moment and in these moments, I'm going to run to you for your protection. God is a very present help. He's not hard to find. Here's the second thing. Look at verses 4 through 7. It says, there is a river. River is often a picture of the presence of God whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns and the nations rage and the kingdom totters. He utters his voice. The earth melts. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Here's the second thing that God provides so that we can experience courage rather than fear in times of trouble. Not only his protection, but his presence. Presence. See, the author of this psalm is speaking of a couple different things. So there's a historical meaning in this, and there's a meaning that applies to us today and to others who have read Psalm 46 as well throughout the corridors of time. Specifically, historically, what he's speaking of here is the city of Jerusalem. It's often referred to as the city of God. And in 2 Kings 18 and 19, many scholars believe that this is the time period that the psalmist was referring to. See, at the time, you had this Assyrian king, Sennacherib, during the reign of King Hezekiah. And what was happening was, Assyria was this very powerful nation at the time. 
And so one of the generals sends a letter to Hezekiah from King Sennacherib that is basically, to put it in our context, smack talk. Everybody know what that means? Like, like literally what he's saying is, is listen, we've annihilated every other nation, and you're going to be no different. So we are coming for you. And Hezekiah gets this letter. So Hezekiah is obviously shaken by this letter because he knows the reputation of the Assyrian army. And so what he does is he takes this letter and he lays it out before the Lord. And he prays all night to the Lord that the Lord would deliver them. And that night what happens is, that night is an angel comes through the camp of the Assyrians killing 185,000 soldiers without anybody going to battle. So obviously King Hezekiah wakes up and he is amazed at God's deliverance. See, that's the historical meeting when it says God will help her when morning dawns. See, that's a historical meaning of this section, this second stanza. But what about the people of God throughout history? See, what I love in these three verses, verses four through seven, is that it reminds me that God's presence provides me with peace. You needing that today? Because it says there's a river whose streams make glad. That word glad literally means refreshes and calms. God's presence gives peace. That even though the mountains are shaking and the waters are foaming and roaring and all of these things are going on around me, that there is a sense that God is right there next to me And the result is, is I have peace. Peace is always the result of God's presence. Always. And what do I have as a child of God? Someone who has placed their trust in Jesus Christ's perfect death, resurrection, life. What What have I been given as a child of God? I have been given the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me. Jesus says in John 16, in me you have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Man, we so often, I so often miss God's peace when I don't take advantage of being in his presence. You're in a crisis right now. Let me ask you. And you've probably called your mom, you've called your dad, you've called your boss, you've called your counselor, you've called your pastor, you've talked to everybody you can possibly think of, but I wonder, have you opened up God's word and said, Lord, what do you want me to hear today? We have a phrase at our church, when God's word is open, God's mouth is open. Like, Lord, met me. Go to your presence and experiencing your peace. And then look at verses 5 through 7. Just emphasizes the stability that God's presence provides us. It says, God is in the midst of her. Romans 8, 16 says, the Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am a child of God. That that can't be taken away. No matter what happens in my life, that is the security that I have in Jesus Christ. It is my stability, and the Holy Spirit speaks that to my soul. When I engage in his presence, it says God will help her when morning dawns. I mentioned, you know what is so interesting? I didn't have panic attacks in that season of my life at 12 p.m. 
Didn't have it at 2 p.m. When did I have it? In the night. And isn't that often when your mind starts racing? Man, how am I going to do this? How is this going to happen? How is this going to work out? All of that. And I love that there's a promise that God will help you when morning dawns. You engage in his presence. Can I just deal with this quickly? I know we got to move on, but, but this, is, like, this is the anchor here. I don't want to leave this out. Look at what it says in verse 7, because some of you may still be doubting the Lord's protection and the Lord's presence that he has offered you so you can experience courage. Look at what it says in verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The significance of the name of the Lord, when it's capital L-O-R-D, you know what that is? That is God signing his name to something. He's saying, I'm signing my name to this. You can take it to the bank. It's going to happen so much so that I'm putting my name at stake. It's Yahweh, the self-existent, the self-sustaining, the one who has always been and always will be. That's the significance of this Hebrew name, Yahweh. So whenever you see capital L-O-R-D, you know what that ought to tell you? Pay attention. It's literally, you want to you have a really awesome word you can leave with today? Here's an amazing word. It can make you sound like an amazing scholar. It's literally referred to as the tetragrammaton. Like just that phrase means it's like significant, right? So the amazing thing is, is God gives these promises and then he says, wait a minute, here's how much I want you to understand this. I am putting my name to it. It is like, like I'm putting my reputation at stake. This is what I want you to understand. And then there's the next phrase that says, God of Jacob is our fortress. 15 out of seven time, 17 times this word fortress is used in the Old Testament. It's a picture of the believer's security in God. Y'all pretty familiar with Jacob? Not exactly the best role model, right? Conniver, schemer. But he wrestles with God, and what does God do? He changes his name to Israel. Notice it doesn't say the God of Israel. It says the God of Jacob. And what that reminds me is, God, even in times where I run from you, not to you, even in those times where I'm choosing fear over courage because I'm not making the choice to experience this, to allow you to grow me in the protection that you offer, in the presence that you offer, even in those times, you're faithful. You're not the God of Israel. You're the God of Jacob. You're faithful to me when I'm not faithful. And here's the last thing, and we'll be done. The third thing God provides, it's found in verses 8 through 11. It's his purposes. You remember what I said at the beginning of this message? Verses 8 through 11 look forward, are looking forward to something. So in times of crisis, in times where I want to fear, in times where I want to freeze or I want to panic or I want to just go into, let me fix it on my own. In those times, what I need to remind myself, wait a minute, Lord, you have purposes for my life and you have purposes for what you've established and those are not going to be thwarted. See, the psalmist says, hey, I want you to come. I want to show you something. I want you to behold, I want you to gaze, I want you to stare, that's what that word behold. I want you to look at these types of things. I want you to look at the works of the Lord. 
I want you to reflect on what God has done and what God has accomplished. That's one of the things that I've found in my own life as I've walked through different things is what I need to do in those moments to assure me that God is a God of protection and assure me that God's presence provides me peace and stability is I need to take time to reflect on what God has already done. I need to behold the works of the Lord. See, trust in God's sovereignty brings peace. Trust in myself brings what? Man, it brings panic. Because I know my limitations. I know your limitations. And what are the works that God does? Look at what it says in verse 9. He causes war to cease. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns chariots with fire. The things that you may be experiencing right now that are in front of you that you, they, that you think are impenetrable, that you think you don't stand a chance again, chance against. And what does God promise? Those things are not going to thwart my purposes. In your life, and the things that I want to accomplish on this earth. But how, how do I experience God as my refuge and strength. Well, I'm glad you asked, because look at verse 10. Here's how we experience these things. We be still, and we know that he is God. You know what that word be still means? Can we just say that together? Be still. It literally means drop your hands and relax. Stop trying to control everything. See, I often get caught up into thinking that be still means doing nothing. Anybody else like that? Like be still means inactivity. Doesn't lead to anything. But be still is the most active thing that you can do in your walk with the Lord. It says be still and it doesn't stop there. It says be still. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do, Lord? Am I supposed to just sit on my hands? Am I supposed to do nothing? We're not supposed to be proactive. And the psalmist says, no, 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 you need to be still. What do you need to do? You need to know that I'm God. See, it's more, this phrase know is more than knowing about something. It is experiencing it intimately. It's taking those fears to God. It's being honest with God. It's admitting that you're angry right now. It's admitting that you're fearful. It's admitting that you're frustrated. It's admitting those things. God's big enough to hear those things. being still, because you can't experience these things without doing them. See, Martin Luther has a hymn that he wrote in the same time period, around the same time period that he nailed those 95 theses to the wall. It's my favorite hymn. It's the hymn of Mighty Fortresses, Our God. It comes straight from Psalm 46. And I want to read to you the second stanza in Psalm 46 because I think it will speak to where many of you are right now. The band can come on up as I'm reading this. It's on your screen. Martin Luther says this. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side the man of God's own choosing. 
Just ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, or Lord of hosts, is his name. From age to age the same. And look at this. And he must win the battle. Are you running to God or from God? Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. I just want you to evaluate your heart right now. Evaluate where you are. Maybe you haven't yet taken the moment or the time to be still, and that's what you need to do right now. Shut out the fear, shut out the anxiety, shut out feeling boxed in, shut out the voices, shut out the mountains trembling around you and the waters roaring around you. And just say to the Lord, Lord, I need you speak to the circumstances that I'm in. You know what I've found? Whenever I pray that prayer, he always answers. Holy Spirit just assuring you it's going to be okay. Look to me. Come, behold, gaze on me. You know what's awesome is that when you have not just you, but a people that make up a body like this who are all focused to do that, not just individually in your walks with the Lord, but collectively as God's people, that you know what? Man, we've planted a church. Like rarely do you have the opportunity to be part of the few who accomplishes